I think Newman is a, a great saint for our times and for the evangelization, because I, I think Newman really has a lot to say to the questions that we have and in our minds. And people have to read and they have to think about the idea of the university, think of development of doctrine, faith and reason, uh, revelation. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, sponsored by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today I am pleased to be joined by Father Juan Velas, a priest of the Prelature of Opus Dei and a scholar of John Henry Newman. Thank Welcome you. to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's good to be here. Really good. Yeah, so uh, as listeners may know, uh, right, Newman's Really, his teachings and his writings have been such an inspiration to Ave Maria University in particular, uh, and especially his idea of the university, right? His, in a way, defense of education, uh, of, of the being of a university as consecrated to truth, and, right, that truth that ultimately even includes, uh, right, the revealed faith of the Catholic faith, and that. Uh, right, this is kind of the, the you know the natural home of a university is to embrace universal learning, to consider all things, um, everything in a way within creation, but even that part of creation which was revealed to us, right? You know, um, through uh, Jesus Christ and the mission of His Spirit in the Church. It's so exciting so. to hear that because you hardly hear that. Really like, <laughs> wow, it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, it, it is, and I think it's. Um, Anyway, it's, uh, you know, I know for a long time, every professor at Ave Maria receives a copy of the idea of the university by uh, John Henry Newman. And as I was developing, uh, you know, this podcast and thinking a little bit more about Newman, uh, I went back to Pope Benedict's 2010 canonization, or sorry, beatification of Newman. It was fascinating. He did it in England, right, which I think was a very rare uh, thing, but uh, he really wanted to do that. And one of the things he highlights he says there were like three particular areas that make Newman relevant to us. So I wanted to kind of ask you a little bit about these. But one was uh, that when he, when he became a cardinal, it was his motto was core et core loquitur. Heart speaks to heart. And he especially spoke about the way in which uh, this was an attitude of prayer. Uh, that human beings could somehow speak to God and God could speak to them. And then, but then what was interesting is moving from that, thing, he then moved immediately to the idea that the pressing issues of our age were one, faith and reason. Faith and reason, are they compatible? And so it's interesting. So the idea of heart speaking to heart is not just a pious thing. It's actually a reality because if that can happen, that means then that faith is not against reason. And then, in a way, thirdly, he talked about the role of revealed religion in society and within universities. And so, uh, so I anyway, I just thought that was a really kind of fascinating theme. So, uh, just you know, as a you've been studying Newman for uh, how many years now? Uh, twenty-eight. Yeah, like twenty-eight years, right? Decades of your studies, yeah. and so you know, how would you answer that question of why do you think Newman is? relevant for our times why do we need to kind of uh make newman like no no newman better and make him known right well i'm glad you you brought the the that address the beatification because pobenic knew newman's writings and thoughts and was influenced by him 
and uh, and he really nails it. He really, and I, I like to. I've read it a few times. I'd like to now go over it again. But uh, and I think well, I'll go back to the question in a moment. But when he or or besides or but yeah, going directly, Newman addresses the whole person. One, one uh, thinks in, one thinks initially he's just intellectual, but now he's addressing the whole person, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the person's um, psychology, their their history. He's uh, he's um, he has a historical mind, and so he addresses a person in in their their background, their their whole their, their, their situation, yeah. and and their reason, and and so it's the whole person, and 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 he speaks to the whole person, and he thinks God speaks to the whole person also, um, but I think that thinking about our conversation today, yeah. mm-hmm. that Newman, the reason why he's very very important for our time is because he puts his finger on atheism or agnosticism. And, and so he's a man for our times because in the 19th, 20th century, there's been, such, in the 21st, such a rise in agnosticism and atheism. And Newman really put his finger on it. He's, as, as you've heard him call, uh, another Augustine. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people think of the, these great, three great thinkers in, the, in, the, in Christian, Christian faith, or there's many more, but Augustine, Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, and Newman, obviously I'm simplifying, and we could add Benedict the Sixteenth in, in between there and John Paul II. But, but uh, Newman um, deals with agnosticism. And you've studied faith and reason, and you have a, a wonderful contribution to that in, in the volume we'll talk about. But uh, so Newman has his finger on that, and that's why he's relevant for us today. And it, it's something of both the mind and the heart, the whole person, and how we, our capacity to know God and why people get stuck and, and don't make that, don't have that knowledge of God for many yeah. reasons. Yeah, that's really, I, I love the way you express that, because I do think that question, and almost maybe even more agnosticism than atheism, right? Not yeah. only knowing that God exists, but knowing that we can know something about him, and that we can know something meaningful and true about him, and that that gives then meaning and truth to our lives. Certainly. Um, so, could you say more about? Sorry, because because um, uh, the agnosticism that he deals with is um, it, it leads to what was doctrinal agnosticism, but it leads to moral uh, moral agnosticism, moral relativism. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that yeah. moral relativism today. I was thinking that's another what we could call it moral agnosticism. So both the doctrinal and the moral mm-hmm. is is uh, unclear, and pe- we think we cannot know, and. Uh, and Newman, is, as, 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 as we know, talked about natural religion and what we can know through reason. So on the one hand, he, he expressed what we can know about God, but then he talks about revealed religion. So he, he addresses that, that knowledge of God through the natural, through a use of reason, and then through a use of reason illumined by, by grace, which is faith, mm-hmm. and the revealed religion. He, um, yeah, he had to deal this with in the 19th century head on because beginning with his brother, Charles, who, who had doubts of faith at a young age. Yeah. And so Newman starts addressing and thinking about this. And then his brother Francis also, who, mm-hmm. who was a Christian, but, but had a lot of strange ideas. So at a young age, Newman begins to deal with this, but then his surroundings are, are surroundings of a, of a country that's going through the Industrial Revolution. Well, it's about to begin the Industrial Revolution and then scientific revolution and and the, the, everything's everything's up for grabs. Everything's the, the truths of, of about God are 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 put in question. Yeah, and 
for you know, so for just to, by way of context, so Newman's born um, what in like eighteen oh one or so. Um, he ends up uh, becoming, I think he's like the youngest graduate of Oral Oriel College at Oxford, and becomes basically a professor there in his young twenties. Right, uh, and really lives this great as an Anglican at this time uh, helps to kind of spearhead this wonderful renewal movement within Anglicanism within Oxford called the Oxford Movement, really back to the fathers to try to renew the liturgical, moral, and doctrinal life of Anglicanism by bringing the fathers as the kind of definitive moment of of the reception of biblical revelation. But as he does that, of course, he as he's thinking through that, right, eventually he begins to, you know, question whether or not Anglicanism or the Church of England is the Church of the Fathers. And like, I think it's in 19, or sorry, 1843, absolutely, yes. So when he's about 42 or so that he actually begins to almost have a little bit of a crisis of faith, he begins to see that, no, the Church of England is not the Church of the Fathers, uh, and he says at one time he's on his deathbed with respect to Anglicanism. But it was interesting. It was two years. He took two more years. It wasn't until 1845 that he entered uh, the Catholic faith, um, went, studied, became a Catholic priest, came back to England, uh, was actually asked by, um, I think it was Pius IX, the Ninth. to found the Catholic University of Ireland, uh, and that's, it was really as he was t- giving the lectures for the Catholic University of Ireland in Dublin that we have the idea of the university. Uh, and right, and then he eventually, uh, you know, carries out his work as an oratorian priest, founds a, you know, leads a community. Uh, at some point has, writes this great ap- ap- apologia pro vita sua, really a defense of his life in some ways, defense of his religious convictions. And then really only at the end of his life by Leo the 13th is, uh, declared a cardinal maybe it was like in 1883 or around that time 1879 1879 thank you it's always good to have a scholar with me and he in that address though that he gives on becoming a cardinal uh, or being created a cardinal as the language goes he he says that his entire life has been uh trying to uh work against right liberalism in religion, in in religious thinking, this idea that there's no real truth in available and doctrine. Uh, So could you say a little bit about that idea that like his, that he would say that as he summarizes his whole life, that's been given as a priest first as an Anglican, then as a Catholic in and outside of universities, founding universities, uh, trying to renew the Anglican church, then uh, coming into the Catholic faith and all these different things. Yeah. Could you say about what, is, what, right. what does he mean by that? And you know, why is that important for our age? Well, just a small thing before. Yeah. I, I'm glad you, you summarized, you introduced his history and summarized his history. He was very young when he went to Oxford at 16, yes. but then he, mm-hmm. then, he, then he actually entered when he was 17, but he, went to, he, he was admitted when he was 16. Yes. And he, he graduated from Trinity College, but then, oh, okay. but then taught at Oreo. Oh, yes. Oreo, yes. And that's where he, yeah. he grew and developed and taught. Mm-hmm. Um, go, going now to the end of his life, yeah. uh, I, I find, well, eight, and his, he died in 1889, so mm-hmm. 1890, excuse me, so he lived as a cardinal for 11 years. But in 1879, that, that speech really sums up 
I think in, in, as much as you can sum up a lot of his life or, or the thrust of his life and reading it uh, today again, uh, I thought, gee, I, I need to write an article about a long article about this uh, yes. or, or, or more because it has so much. So he's looking back at his life and, and he says for 30, 40, 50 years or more, I, this has been my life struggle. And um, to, to, to teach that religion is objective, that there's an objective data of revealed religion. Mm -hmm. And uh, as uh, he, he says, well, re re liberalism in religion is to think that, uh, that there is no, that my religion is as good as yours, that my truth is as good as your truth, uh, that I can choose the beliefs that I want. And, and he says, well, that's contrary to, to reason, that you can't have two truths that are opposite, that are different. It's contrary to reason, and it's contrary to, to revealed religion, to the revealed mm -hmm. fact. Mm -hmm. And he, um, well, he does that in his life, in his preaching, in his sermons. He does that in the Oxford University sermons that we can refer to in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, the Apologia is an explanation of how he came about to uh, distinguishing which he thought was the the true fold of Christ, what Christ had established, the Catholic mm -hmm. Church, yeah. distinguishing it from Protestant churches, so that he thinks that there's an objective, there's objective ways of, of thinking about religion, about faith, and you can make decisions uh, about that, you should make decisions. But basically, he, he's addressing this fact that's very in, in, ingrained in society, that, um, that we really uh, can't be sure about the truth, and that I can, my religion is as good as your religion, mm -hmm. and that all religions basically are the same. Yeah. And we, we hear this all the time, that most religions are basically the same. And, and that's appealing because in a way, I mean, there's a grain of truth that we're talking about. There's one God, and, and there's a few, and that we, religion should bring people together. It's not meant to, and so the, there's a common, um, there's some common truths in religion about God as creator. Well, not all religions. God is creator. God is, mm -hmm. as, as the one who judges, the one who rewards, God who is good. So we say, well, these things are true. So then my religion is as good as yours. Religion is all the same, mm -hmm. but obviously it's not. And so he, throughout his life, works, uh, at, teaches this and uh, teaches the distinction of, of, of uh, the objectivity of religion. Now there's a subjective nature because we have to make religion our own, or we have to we have a, pro a personal relationship with God. But there are truths that are objective, and that um, if we call them into question, we have to give good, solid reasons for that, uh, which are which are lacking, mm -hmm. which are which are wanting. So he he made that his life's work, and um, and and that's why reading Newman, studying Newman is very important for our times. It really is. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced uh, with that. So yeah, that, that's his his life work. In fact, is uh, is I think uh, showing the harmony between faith and reason. Uh, faith properly understood respects reason, as you've written. Faith is an act of reason, but it goes beyond reason. And illumined by grace, we we're able to go further than our reason can go. But but it's not contradictory to reason. Yeah, yeah. I think one thing that he he says there. Uh, is that idea that um, just like reason can move uh, from uh, certain things I can understand on my own to other things, and I can move from you know propositions to conclusions and these sorts of different things, 
reason can also learn from hearing from other people. And sometimes I'm going to just have to take on trust what other people say, um, right? He gives the example of the fact that England being you know, larger, being an island and these different things. I, I'm not going to go around and test it. It would be a waste of my life. I have to trust uh, this element. He, he says sometimes, you know, like if we, want, if we want to be absolutely certain of everything, we have to crawl on the ground. But if we want to soar, we have to kind of trust what others have told us and then sift them. But we begin with trusting and then we sift whether or not those seem true. This is how we live in the natural world. Right. This is how science progresses. If right. science had to begin again at the beginning every time for each individual scientist, there'd be no science. Right. Science can only develop because it largely trusts what you know, other people. There's a beautiful yeah, parallel yeah. there yeah, with, yeah. with our human life. The yeah. human reason, we, we yeah. tr trust yeah. and supernatural, we have to trust also. Yeah, yeah. And so therefore, it's not against reason to trust the words of the apostles. Yeah. The words of the apostles when they say, not just that, you know, you can do this scientific experiment, so, you know, be, try a new one, but they actually say this man, Jesus, rose from the dead and sent us his Holy Spirit. And if you believe, and so it's the same, it's an elevated mode, but a lot of our wisdom comes from, right, trusting in the word of others. Uh, and we simply, you know, as, as he puts in a lot of ways, right, we don't have the luxury of having absolute certainty. We have to kind of, uh, we're thrown into a world and we have to throw ourselves, you know, in a way um, forward. You know, we have to kind of make a judgment and we can find certitude, as he puts it, even if in a certain sense we don't have absolute certainty. Right, right. You, 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 um, you, in, in a paper, that, in a chapter on this book, and mm -hmm. John Henry Newman, a guide to John Henry Newman, his life yeah. and thought, you, um, you talk about how, you explain how Newman talks of the need for uh, a, the predisposition of, to, to trust, you have to have a certain humility, you have the predisposition to, okay, well, to, mm -hmm. to, that you don't know everything, that, you're, that you have to learn from others, and also that it requires love. If you don't love something or someone, then you're not going to get to know them or interact yeah. with them because mm -hmm. you're putting up a wall. So these predispositions of humility and love are necessary. You could elaborate on that for, but I wanted to, before we forget, yeah. Newman saw the church fathers, those authors of the first uh, centuries of the church mm -hmm. who were known for holiness and their wisdom yeah. and writings, that he saw them as the, the best interpreters of the, of the teachings of the apostles and their successors. And, and so Newman said at one point in his life, he said, the fathers made me Catholic, mm -hmm. if you remember. Yeah. And he, so reading about the fathers, the early, especially the early church fathers, uh, well, St. Irenaeus, St. Justin, um, Basil, St. Gregory Nassianzen, St. Augustine, the, the fathers made me Catholic. He, he, he was trusting on their, their understanding of the scriptures and together with, with the magisterium, or the early magisterium. So he trusted in their understanding, and, and you build on that. But you, you, don't, uh, you don't invent religion in the 20th century or 19th century. You, you, you're standing on the, on the shoulders of giants, and these were the giants. But it, so it requires trust. Uh, mm -hmm. um, anyhow, that harmony and faith, I think, is one of the great things that Newman has to teach us, and that when, when there's true science, true science does not encroach on religion or contradict religion yeah. and 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 true faith just uh, allows science to study and to 
try to establish natural truths without without uh, quelching uh, uh, mm-hmm. scientific study or discovery. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the great um, one of the great false claims against uh, Christianity is that the faith is opposed to to, to science, mm-hmm. which is absurd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he and and it's interesting too because when he starts the Catholic University of of Ireland, uh, and and you have an essay about this, but one of the first things he starts is a school of medicine, right? Right. right? And of course, he's also arguing for the need for philosophy and theology, but he starts school of medicine, applied science, because right. this is what kind of, you know, science in a certain sense, as we understand it in the Middle Ages and afterwards, was really born just as the universities were from the heart of the church. Right. Uh, so, and, and that's kind of conviction, by the way, right? In the unity of truth, because it all is part of one world from one creator. Sure. And that revelation is also part of that same world because God entered into our world, right? Spoke his word, communicated that word historically. And that's why not that same principle in a way then not only is his understanding of the university, faith and reason, science and faith, but also even his understanding of um, when he talks about doctrine, his essay on the development of doctrine, which he wrote basically, you know, right in his, um, at the end of his time as an Anglican, as he's becoming Catholic, uh, when he says, you know, somewhat famously, but to go deep into history, right, is to cease to be a Protestant. And right, this is not to dismiss, by the way, um, like he writes this as somebody who was a very deeply and devoutly committed Protestant for 30 years, right? So he's not being dismissive, but he did see that to go deep into history is to see Right, that revelation isn't abstract. Revelation is historical and embodied, and therefore, just as the rest of our lives are historical and embodied, it becomes subject to kind of almost you know, we can we can investigate it and we can look into it. As you pointed, you can kind of say, Okay, yeah, wow, those are the apostles, those are the fathers. That's the church that is continuing right. in that tradition. Right. Yeah, one of one of his first writings was the the history of the Arians is not. The, he wrote before that on miracles, but mm-hmm. but it's a, a look at the early church history, the f- third third and fourth century, their councils, yes, with mm-hmm. the, the difficulties, but also with 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 achievements and the, the, the work of uh, trying to articulate our beliefs in God based on divine revelation and and using applying the mind to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but he's he's very historically minded. He understands that. Uh, He's not naive about the difficulties of interpreting the scriptures mm-hmm. and and uh, establishing doctrines, and um, and also that uh, the the well that the church also develops uh, over time and the, the doctrine develops over time, mm-hmm. and but but one has to have safeguards to uh, to make sure that that mm-hmm. that is a true development of of the. I think it may uh, that's partly why uh, some people see him kind of like as a modern church father that. He is aware of how much in modernity we tend to feel historically dislocated. We, Once we become aware of how shaped we are by history, many people feel kind of lost in history, that if everything we say is historically, culturally, linguistically conditioned, then how can we speak any truth? And if the church is historical, then how can it have any truth? And so the beautiful thing about Newman is Newman lived in that world, the same world we live in, with the same sorts of questions, and he was able to articulate that, yes, this is 
difficult, and yes, it is possible. Mm-hmm. And we've always been historical beings, mm-hmm. so like either you know, um, we, you know, we have to kind of kind of shut down our whole experience of being human, which is not only that we are historical, but also that we discover truth. Not only that we're historical, but also that we're moral beings, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and this is where he, I think, really is able to defend this aspect that in and through the historical world of God's creation and philosophically knowable and experienced, and then the revelation of God who comes into the world, again, you know, historically, and we, we can talk about it because it happened in time, right, that through those aspects, we can still attain truth. Not the absolute certainty maybe that Descartes wanted, um, as though we could doubt everything, uh, but that, but in a genuine way. Again, that we could, although we, again, certainty may be a standard that's not fully human. You know, you almost have to kind of like, it's almost like an angelic certainty. But he says we can come to certitude. We can come to resting in certain judgments that we've made on which I am sure and I will cast my life, you know, right? And if you think about this, I think sometimes our understandings of love, right? Our understandings of family, right? I'm certain enough of those realities that I would give my, you know, that I might, you know, I may give my life for a loved one. I we, might. We rest in them. We don't. We're yeah. not judging them all the time. We, we just, that's exactly right. We we rest in them, and I think that's what he does. Is yeah. he kind of shows us, but he does it in a beautiful way uh, that really defends this. And so, you I know, wonder, what, I, I, oh, let me ask yeah, something. Yeah. When, um, the twenty. There's always been historians, the Greek historians, and others, yes. But the 19th century. There's a at least in England and Germany. There's a in France and before flourishing of history yes. and history becomes mm-hmm. like the paradigm so to speak yeah. later on 20th century it's psychology and mm-hmm. then the empirical science are like the paradigm of truth well so Numa is really kind of there he's aware of that he knows history but he's unfazed in a sense because the truth historical truth is not contrary to yeah. to revelation mm-hmm. precisely God reveals himself <laughs> in, in the prophets and in, in his son as, as you've yeah. mentioned a few times mm-hmm. so he's not faced and then Towards the end of his life, he writes on inspiration and uh, two two uh, short essays, and or and and then be, and actually and before that in the in the eighteen forties he mm-hmm. write he writes on the the apparent it's track seventy three the apparent contradictions in scripture, many questions that arise and he says well yes but we believe because we don't understand everything but we believe. And he gives reasons for that, but he he's aware that there are difficulties in the scriptures. Yes, uh, in uh, uh, this book might have been written by a few persons, or this something might have been added, interpolated, but that does not invalidate scripture. That does not, you know, put aside the, the real data. So it's very it's wonderful. He's not yeah. he's very much mm-hmm. attuned to history, and uh, and uh, and he says we have to be patient in looking for answers and have faith. Uh, so, but you were going to say you. No, maybe, that's maybe you're going to change to another topic. I don't well, know. Well, yeah, let's um, let's take a, a break, and then when we come back. I really want to uh, talk about the book Good. that you've edited, uh, this guide to John Henry Newman, his life and thought. So we'll mm. dive into that after the break. Great. You're listening to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. 
You can visit us at AveMaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Catholic Theology Show. Today, I am joined by Father Juan Velez, a priest of the Prelature of Opus Dei. And we are talking about St. John Henry Newman. And uh, Father Velez has edited a book published by Catholic University of America Press called A Guide to John Henry Newman, His Life and His Thought. I was uh, honored and pleased to be able to be kind of part of a, you know, kind of a soft editorial team that helped uh, work with Father to uh, kind of uh, pull this together in different ways. I think uh, we ended up with 27 essays uh, by scholars trying to uh, show the importance of really just uh, John Henry Newman as a, as a, just a really a tremendous resource and someone really worth studying and worth learning from. Uh, so anyway, so again, it's it's exciting yeah. to have you on the show, Father M- Michael. I, I'm I'm um, I'm so I'm so happy to be talking about Newman, as as you can imagine, and and I want to say to those who are listening, and, yeah. Uh, Michael suggested the title of the book. <laughs> we, I, I had a similar title, but but Michael came up with a title, and I'm very grateful to your 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 help as a. There are a few people like you, two or three, who are helping me with the editorial ideas, and uh, uh, even though I, I edited the book, but um, and and I really like your chapter on faith and reason. And when people when I talk with a book about the book, they ask, "Well, what chapter should I begin with?" And and I invariably refer to your chapter as one of my favorites. And but uh, because it's such an important topic, as we were talking yeah. about before, there's many other good chapters and. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you would like to um, ask well, me about yeah. it, or yeah. Well, let's. Well, and, and thank you very much. Uh, that's yeah. very kind. And uh, and it, it's fun. It's it's interesting because in some ways, right? I didn't I didn't study Newman because I thought Newman would be interesting to study. I read Newman early on because I myself had you know come to faith after having a long or having an experience of kind of atheism and agnosticism and antagonism, right? You might put it to the church and to God and to Christianity, and and I and I felt and experienced a strong tension between um, modern quote unquote scientific ways of thinking right. about things and the faith, and so it really you know that, that work is just really the fruit of my own you know I don't know reading Newman for yeah. almost thirty years now off and on, and uh, so I'm great that I'm if, if it's been able to be of help to anyone uh, that's, yes. that's really wonderful to see. So. Uh, to begin with, though, I thought kind of like, hopefully some of our listeners and viewers are want to learn more about Newman, uh, but also just how fun to get to speak with an editor of a volume. So what made you decide that you were going to pull together, right, you know, uh, what, 27 authors and try to do a whole new book on uh, Newman? So yeah, say a little well, about that. There's there's very good authors. I, I I don't want to mention names because mm-hmm. I, I would leave people out. But there's mm-hmm. there's people who who've written about Newman, yes. teach Newman. Mm-hmm. Um, a number of them, like seven or six or seven, are converts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's um, there's a, there's two women uh, authors. Uh, I wish we would have had more, but uh, there's a there's a few priests. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it's a really exciting group of, of yeah. people who, mm-hmm. who who've studied Newman, and. Um, Basically, at the canonization of Newman, which was on uh, October 13th, 
2019. Yes. Uh, I, I got to be there in Rome. It was a, it was a joy oh, to be beautiful. Uh, to be there. It was a beautiful, sunny day. Uh, five people were canonized in St. Peter's Square. Mm-hmm. Pope Francis canonized um, St. Henry Newman. Well, around the, that time and, and, and shortly after, I, I um, looking at another volume by uh, published by a university, a volume on Newman, I began to see that there's um, there there was need for a, a volume that um, presented Newman a more fuller account of Newman. Uh, I'll explain that in a moment. Yeah. A fuller account, mm-hmm. and then secondly, that was uh, also more 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 favorable or or less putting into question things of Newman. Not to say, and I'll, I'll address that too. So the first part about a fuller account of Newman, well. For example, for Newman, friendship was huge, as 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 you know from his letters. Yes, uh, like thirty-three volumes of letters, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and his biographies, and we have two chapters here on friendship, mm-hmm. and and so friendship, and it's part of that core core loquitur, and his and his um, his way of being that uh, is is part of a fuller picture of Newman. In other words, we present Newman as this intellectual many times, and we forget that he was. He was a priest. He was concerned for people. He was the head of a house of other priests. He cared for the people in his community. So a fuller account of Newman in that sense. There's a chapter on poetry. There's a chapter on Newman as a, 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 a student of um, the classics, mm-hmm. uh, which is part of that account of Newman. There's a, uh, now, the um, I would have liked more uh, like a chapter on his prose and and somehow there's one of the chapters is a little bit on his prose but but uh, but we didn't get to that but even though other volumes have accounts of many of these things we were trying oh a chapter on poetry mm-hmm. uh, a good chapter on poetry um, by Barbara Wyman we wanted to present a, a, an account of Newman that included more of the person. Mm-hmm. Person. In fact, the first the books divided into part one and part two. The first part is on Newman as a person, as an or, as a convert, as an oratorian, as a as a as a, uh, a preacher, sermons, as a philosopher. Uh, in the second and so and then the second part, which actually deals with my second uh, consideration, was that in in many volumes, uh, re- more recent volumes, or at least some recent volumes. Uh, Newman is questioned. He's put into like into the uh, the accuser's bench, and so especially the Apologia Pro Vita Sua, mm. uh, as if Newman is singing his praises and kind of exaggerating and inventing things, and um, and 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 clearly from reading of Newman, I I, I just that doesn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. and 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 his life and his life and his writings. I say, where, where is all this questioning of Newman? Now this doesn't mean that we can't disagree with him and and that we and that he's he says the, he's the end and the be all of things there's other things that are developed after Newman but but we have to approach the author especially an author like him with with respect and with and and not as like putting him question mark about his his sexuality his uh his thoughts about evangelicals that uh his um his being uh, really an authentic Anglican, uh, people would question that he thinks said think that he was a, a closet Catholic and mm-hmm. was really undermining Anglicanism, things like that, which are which are not true and are just. So I said, well, we, we need to try to look at these things and to present Newman in a 
in a more fuller way and also in a more calm and and uh, positive manner. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think one other thing too that really struck me when you had approached me with the idea of developing the volume is, you know, it is, it is, you know, in some ways in our day within the scholarly world, sometimes history also becomes the predominant discipline. So it's as if the historians would give the definitive account of Newman. And um, there's obviously it's a beautiful thing to be a historian, right? How, how, how wonderful. And we've been talking about yeah, that. Exactly. How wonderful <laughs> to have history. Yeah. So totally, it's a beautiful yeah. discipline and there are uh, many beautiful historians. And there's also philosophy and theology and right. this idea that we want to, it's important to understand Newman in his context, but it's more important to try to come to see the realities that Newman tried to see philosophically and theologically. And there is a way that sometimes, you know, that that's, you know, it's like we can, I don't know, it's like Aquinas could read Augustine, even if he didn't know everything historically about Augustine, because there's a question of truth. Uh, and it doesn't mean that the truth isn't embodied in historical context and that historical learning isn't an important part of the overall learning. But, but we can also say, well, you know what, we've, we've, we, we're, we've, we're looking into certain things from a historical mode. And now we can also then, like, we, we can at the same time, we don't need to, I guess what I'm saying is we don't need to establish everything historically first and then begin to raise questions about truth in a theological or philosophical manner. Insofar as we have writings, they raise for us questions of truth. And it's appropriate for us as, you know, truth-seeking beings, as homo sapiens, right? As, so to speak, kind of, that, that we are also kind of the core at core loquitur. Newman speaks to our heart. Right. And he raises certain questions for us as kind of a, as a preacher, as a rhetorician, as a, just such a gifted orator, really, a, you know, it's such a beautiful command of, of English prose in a very Victorian mode. So it's right. sometimes a little challenging for people to read. Uh, but then when he speaks to us, the first claim that in a way it makes on us is, is this true? What does it help me to see? Does it help me to see parts of my reality that I couldn't see before? And again, that uh, I think it's just very important within the fuller context to also make sure that we remain like right beings that are capable of coming to know the truth about God, about ourselves, about the world, both in a philosophical mode and in a theological mode. I, could, I couldn't have said it as you said it. You said it so well, but 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 that was in my my mind. Without yeah. being able to, able to articulate well, I was saying no. There's something here that's not right. Mm -hmm. And recently, I've read a few good articles with historical research about Newman, mm -hmm. which is really interesting, sheds light on Newman and mm -hmm. the theologians in the 19th century, mm -hmm. Newman's library, an Oriel, what he consulted yeah. at Oriel College. Mm -hmm. Very, very good things. But I, I had that concern of what you're saying right now, that somehow that history can't be the, the arbiter of, mm -hmm. of, of understanding truth or the person uh, or the truth claims of religion. And um, anyhow, it's, it's a complex, complex situation of what, uh, but I tried to bring that about uh, to express that, although I really like the way you did it. I tried to do that in the introduction. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, uh, so maybe just for kind of uh, listeners who uh, haven't, obviously haven't read the book yet or who, um, you know, aren't familiar, would you say a little bit about how did you, 
come to study theology? How did you come to study Newman? How did Newman yeah. become yeah. kind of like the anchor yeah. of your intellectual and scholarly yeah. life? Well, I, I studied, um, in, I, my family's from Colombia. I, I studied medicine uh, in Colombia and, uh, and then uh, did residency training in Pittsburgh, in internal medicine. Uh, I, I joined Opus Dei along in the way, uh, this, this prelature or, or this organization in the Catholic Church, uh, founded by Saint Jose Maria Escrivá. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was asked at one point if I wanted to study theology, and I considered the priesthood. So I went to Rome to study theology, um, but I still didn't know Newman. Uh, mm -hmm. And then. Um, and then when I went to Navarra, the University of Navarra, for a second time, I had studied medicine there. I had finished my medicine there. But I went to a second time, I, I did doctoral work. And uh, the, the way I chose it is I, I, was, I read a book by Father Jose Morales, who died last year. Mm -hmm. he, he was a real great Newman scholar, did a lot, uh, especially in the, uh, to making Newman known in, in the Spanish-speaking world. And uh, Father Jose had a biography, or has, he, he, but he, although he died last year, on Newman. I read his biography, and I, I must have read it rather fast, and, and I was taken by it, just really taken by the figure of Newman. As I had been taken by the figure of Jose Maria Escrivá some years before, uh, reading a biography of his, and uh, his passion for truth, Newman was very sincere, very um, studious, very committed to to the truth as he knew, as he learned the truth about the faith. And, and uh, so his, I was very impressed by Newman and, and, and I wanted to know more about Newman. So I started reading and, and that became a, a, a master's thesis and then, and then a doctoral dissertation. So it was basically, uh, it was almost experiential, <laughs> if you could say, because I hadn't, mm -hmm. I knew a little about theology and I hadn't mm -hmm. thought about a lot of things, but it was the person of Newman and uh, his, hum his, his humanity. I thought he was a, a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. I really, I, 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 yeah. could, I could sense that. Mm -hmm. and, um, no, I think that is a fascinating thing about Newman that it's, it is in a certain sense his own personal witness to the truth, to engaging the truth. And, all right. and it's not, I may just even think about that. You were talking about some people who kind of question the exact um, veracity of the Apologia Pro Vita Sua. Well, in some ways, right? He wrote that because he was attacked by Charles Kingsley as basically saying, well, all Catholics lie or all Catholics will Catholics will lie because they will do what the Pope says. They're not genuinely exercising their own conscience. It's a major thing. He ended up writing the I think he wrote the months, entire like, less, less, it was it was something like I think it was almost like six four, weeks. Yeah, exactly. Like four to six weeks of just writing. Like no, no computer just from morning till evening. 10, and he just 10, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Exactly. And so I'm sure in some ways that you, somebody could go back and say, well, technically he actually says this here. And if you go back and look, he actually messed up the years sure. when he was at, you know, Oxford or something. Right. Um, but the idea that that was a kind of vigorous defense of really can religious people be trusted? Can, is, can you use your conscience to, believe in revelation, to believe that in what God has spoken, to believe in a living church, that not only did God speak in history, but that God continues to speak through the vicar of Christ. Right. So, and, and it's like a lot of his writings, again, are when he writes an essay on development, it's because he's wrestling with trying to understand right. 
are the teachings of the church today the same as the teachings of the apostles? And the ultimate answer is yes. Right? And a lot of his other works, again, they're kind of somewhat, you know, they're controversies. They're responding to different questions. They're engaging different things. So it makes it very personal. Yes. And he's answering questions, well, for himself, yes. mm-hmm. but that help other people. I've met yeah. many people on the line in my life yeah. that have said Newman really influenced me, really helped me. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. because he's he's addressing questions that people, that, that yeah. he was wrestling mm-hmm. with and that people have. Um, so... I, I think I think this this book is is helpful and it's a type of book that you don't read from cover to cover but you read a chapter here you mm-hmm. two or three chapters yeah. put away and then later on if you want to consult you read another chapter I think Newman is a, a great saint for our times and for the evangelization there's so many Newman centers in the country mm-hmm. I wish we could give a copy to each <laughs> each chaplain a Newman center I, I've given out many dozens, but that we could give to, to Newman chaplains, mm-hmm. professors, because I, I think Newman really has a lot to say to mm-hmm. the questions that we have yeah. uh, and uh, in our minds. And, uh, and, and so I think that, uh, yeah, I think we have to, we have to read more. We have, people have to read and they have mm-hmm. to, to think about the, the idea of the university, think of development of doctrine, mm-hmm. uh, faith and reason, yeah. uh, revelation. For somebody who might be interested in learning more about Newman or reading more, what are some suggestions you might, you know, give them? Good. I, I, I'm glad you because I was thinking about that. But glad you reminded me. Well, one thing is uh, with reading Newman's writings, I think it's important first to, to, well, it's helpful to read a biography because uh, now you're going to ask me which biography. I don't know. Because what happens is that well, his he makes you really. Sometimes it's hard. His reason, the reasoning is is engaging, but it's demanding. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful to read a biography of Newman. Mm-hmm. Well, Louis Bouyer has a very good biography. Louis uh, Bouyer, mm-hmm. um, and that's a B O U Y E R, right? Theologian yeah. uh, has the one by Jose yeah. Morales that you spoke about been translated. I don't think so. Oh, okay. It's very good. It's very good. But I don't I'm surprised. Think so. are you, are, yeah. Is that one of your uh, desiderata? Uh, well, I, I wrote a biography of Newman. Called, that's right, yes. <laughs> called Passion for Truth, The Life of John Henry Newman. Wonderful. I wasn't yeah. going to bring that up right now, but I did. Oh, no, that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, that's a service. That's yeah, a great yeah, service. And yeah. did, was that published? By Tans St. Benedict. Okay. Yeah. But uh, in a second, other biographies will come to mind. But So I think a biography is helpful. But but the sermons, Newman's sermons mm-hmm. uh, in the parochial and plain sermons uh, are, are very helpful. I jotted down some of the ones that I... One that I like very much is Ventures of Faith. Yeah. By the way, um, uh, the new president of Ave Maria University, Mark Middendorf, loves Newman's sermon on Ventures of Faith. Is that right? And always mentions it and said that he basically read it almost when he was deciding to come here. And then when he was inviting people to come with him, sent them is that right? the Ventures of wow. Faith. So that really is a... That's and, and, I, and I do think that the parochial and plain sermons... Uh, there's a beautiful Ignatius Press uh, version that has all eight volumes in one mm-hmm. little thing. It's about probably like 800 thin pages, uh, but it's they're they're masterful and they're also available online. I believe it's like a screen. That's um, what is it Newman, like? Newmanreader. Newmanreader.org. Um, but those are some. And what were a couple of those other well, uh, sermons? The indwelling spirit. Mm-hmm. He has some about the Holy Spirit. The tears of Christ. I mean, just just ah. the, just the word. I and mean, mm-hmm. we could read it for for Lent. Tears of Christ. Mm-hmm. Another one called faith and love. Although that's yeah. that's a recurring theme. Mm-hmm. But faith and love. And and then watching. 
his idea of watching and uh, watching for Christ, looking out for Christ in oh. Advent. Mm-hmm. But but there's many wonderful sermons, and then and then I thought the novels. Uh, he has two short novels. Uh, one's called Callista, about a a, a a third a fourth century Christian or a pagan who becomes Christian in northern Africa. Callista. It's a moving story. It's a drama, and uh, it really tells us a lot about friendship and evangelization. It's just it's fabulous, yeah. and then. F- uh, a faith uh, loss and gain, which is his first uh, Catholic writing, and it's his mm-hmm. his. It's really like autobiographical, yeah. as, mm-hmm. as, as you know. So yeah. th- those are some things. But but then he has these great books. The idea of university is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so many things. I think the Apologia is, is a tough one, but it's very, very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry that this volume doesn't have a chapter on the Apologia. Yeah. The editor also, the editor of the Catholic University gave me a limit of words, but yeah. there should have been a chapter on the Apologia. Yeah. I should well, have pushed yeah. for that. Everything's yeah. incomplete, right? Yeah. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's a lifelong yeah. uh, learning. Yeah. And so what, 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 I, is, yeah. what is one of your favorite sermons or, or yeah. what would you suggest? You know, there, there are two that come to mind. Um, one is one that he writes called The Religion of the Day. And, you know, I had, I had, the, I had the written. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So and I think he it's he basically what he says is the religion of the day is kind of contemporary popular religiosity. Um, feelings. Yeah, it might be that basically Christianity makes you feel better. Maybe you should be kind of optimistic. Maybe things will work out. Um, You know, our society is probably a good thing and it ought to continue. You know, just like it's this sort of thing. And we tend to basically it's like he it's and and we think it's kind of like Christianity, but it's largely just this kind of worship of and it's it's influ- it's it has Christian fragments absolutely, you know genuine maybe sense of regard for the other good taste yeah a all sense of yeah. propriety yeah um, and yet ultimately it's we we we're, we're still the focus is basically on us and our common life and improving it right uh, so and he then contrasts that with like with 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 Christianity sure. which kind of comes into the world. You know, built upon in a way the suffering of of Israel yeah. and the fidelity ultimately of Israel, barely, largely the fidelity of God and the infidelity of of, of the people of the Old Testament, but then ultimately comes right is born to the cross. Yeah. There, there's an aspect of somewhat kind of like there's an aspect of darkness that is unmasked in Christianity, where we see that we're not all well, society is not all well. And he even has that line where he says, kind of like, religion ought to be gloomier, which is stark and gloomy. But it's a recognition of fallen man and the need for grace. And then it allows us to speak the truth. Because I feel like the problem is when you have kind of like a naive Christianity that's floating around, then you have the problems of like injustice. And then people get attracted to say Marxism, because they're at least dealing with the real problems of the world versus this kind of vapid, yeah. somewhat naive Christianity. He says, no, like you got to go, if you go back to really what Christianity is, yeah. you'll see it's beautiful. So, yeah. and then there's another one that uh, I, I think the, the title just escaped me, um, but I love, I share it with our master's students where just one line he says basically, but I want the same people to be kind of like oracles of philosophy and like shrines of devotion. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful one about the need to kind of really, faith and reason aren't something that is, united outside of us, but they really have to be united 
in us. Is that the title of angels? Does it say something? No. I don't think so. Okay. So that will be a mystery. People can try to find it. But, but if you Google yeah. oracles of philosophy, you can probably, it, it, in Shrines it, of Devotion, you can find it. It might be one of the, the yeah. sermons that he gave at the University of Ireland. Because he, yeah. he gave a number, he gave a number of them, and yeah. Uh, yeah. and it might be, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. So um, I, I think the uh, other yeah. one summarizes yes. his thought so much of yeah. religion as a day. He mm-hmm. really yeah, kind yeah. of really describes yeah, yeah. that, and it really shows the deep hope that basically Christ enters into yeah. the midst of our pain and yeah. suffering and woundedness. Yeah. Um, and Newman's right, conversion wasn't all easy. He talked a lot about how he was deeply broken in part by. The loss of his friends, the loss sure. of his colleagues, the loss of, in a certain sense, his family members. Sure. Sure. He has a quote later on in his sure. life where he says, for me, it was like, for years, the only consolation, my only earthly consolation has been in the Eucharist. I mean, mm-hmm. this is just a beautiful thing. So uh, just as we're wrapping up, Father, can I ask you just three questions? Uh, one, what's a book you've been reading? A book I've been reading? Uh, gee, uh, what have I been reading? <laughs> what have I been reading? Um, well, I read the Apologia just recently. <laughs> oh, the Apologia, okay. but I, that's but a good I, answer. Uh, but I've been reading The Passion of Christ in Spanish. It's a book called uh, La Pasión del Señor by mm-hmm. by a Spanish author and, this, and Luis de la Palma. So getting yeah. ready for, for Lent, that's Passion beautiful. of Christ. And, uh, and gee, um, that's great. That's what comes to yeah, mind right yeah, now. That's great. And yeah. what's a, um, you know, out of obviously many as a, as a priest, et cetera, but just ones, what's maybe one, kind of daily practice that you use that you um, find helpful to right, really discover this this uh, presence of God? Yeah. Well, I, uh, as many Christians do, uh, hopefully more and more will do it, is read the gospel every day, uh, mm. five minutes. And before I used to read it, uh, like straight through, but now I kind of, I, re- I read and I reread and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I, so yeah, the, the gospels or the New Testament. Yeah. And, uh, so I think that I think we we really have to help people to to read the Word of God, to reflect on it, to mm-hmm. let it sink in. So that's been it's been a kind of rediscovery for me the last few months of reading it slower. Uh, the last mm-hmm. year, reading it slower since the last retreat, just wanting to more more intentionally reading the Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. beautiful. And uh, last question: What's a maybe a a view or like a belief you held about God that you later like that you discovered was false and then what was the truth you discovered well so not exactly answering the question but but the last few years i've been uh, with, with with the inspiration of saint maria screw mm-hmm. and john paul ii saint john paul kind of discovering the person of the holy spirit mm-hmm. so i've always believed in the holy spirit obviously yes. but but kind of just being more attentive to the holy spirit Sometimes I wish it was all the time. Yes, and and, and discovering he's a person. Mm-hmm. Saint John Paul says he's the gift person. So the gift of the Father and the Son, but that gift is a person. It's very beautiful, and I yeah. I'm not ready to talk, I mean to talk more about it right mm-hmm. now. But it's and, and and I'm only just beginning. But <laughs> but it's a it's a, it's a good discovery. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, Father Juan Velez, thank you so much for being on our show, and just for people who are interested. So the book uh, published by Catholic University of America Press is called A Guide to John Henry Newman, His Life and Thought. It has over, uh, it has 27 essays and uh, along with an introduction. Uh, So I think it's a wonderful resource and uh, it is somewhat scholarly in nature. Uh, So, you know, if you are, you know, it said if you're not interested maybe in in getting it for yourself, you might consider maybe for a seminarian or a priest friend or a student of theology. Uh, and any of the listeners of the show, 
if you go to the CUA website, can type in CT, Catholic Theology, right. not show, but just CT, 20, and you'll get 20% off. That's right. So, uh, my goodness, I don't know if it's CT10 or CT20. I think it's CT20. I think it's CT20. Well, try both. We'll see what happens anyway. Thank Thank you again so much, Father, for being on the show. This has been wonderful, especially because your participation in the book and your love for Newman. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and, you know, St. John Henry Newman, pray pray for us. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on the Catholic Theology Show.